0: cookie balls, 750 milliliter bottle of rum. Welcome to the Valisi podcast, a study in monology. This is your grumpy Uncle Peter. He will say words at you. So my opening thought, and honestly, it's pretty dark, because of all the school shootings, you hear the phrase thoughts and prayers, and a lot of people are saying that thoughts and prayers don't do anything. And then I started thinking about thoughts and prayers. So when someone does use that term, I suddenly became very interested in what are they thinking and what specifically are they praying for? Because no one actually says what the prayer is. So first of all, your thoughts. Well, yes, everyone is thinking about like a tragedy, like a school shooting. Because it's in the media and it's being shoved in your face, you're going to think about it. So that immediately dissolves any sort of value or meaning from it because everyone's thinking about it, even people who might not want to think about it. But prayers is supposed to be an action. It's something you do. My understanding of prayer is something you kneel down at bed before you do before you go to sleep, but I'm sure that's just in cartoons and stuff. But when you pray, what are you actually praying for? Because if you're praying for the souls of the children who were killed, And maybe you want them to go to heaven. That's probably a pretty standard prayer. Like, please God, accept these children into heaven. That's not a bad prayer. I actually am pretty on board with the idea. The problem is, the underpinning statement there is that school shootings aren't actually such a bad thing because it's getting more kids, more children into heaven faster. So you're kind of praying for more school shootings so you can get more kids into heaven. Otherwise, what you're praying for is less school shootings. So, if you pray for less school shootings and that doesn't happen, then God, the person listening to your prayers, is ignoring you. Or saying, no, that's not how this works. Or, no, your prayer isn't valuable. There's some disconnect there between you and the person you're praying to. Because the person you're praying to isn't stopping the school shootings. It's letting them happen In increasing frequency. So your prayers are actually having the opposite effect of what you want as a result. So that in itself should give you a message, because either God is saying your prayers are irrelevant and don't matter, or God isn't receiving your prayers in the first place, or God is actually hearing your prayers and saying, no, I'm going to do the opposite of that. I'm not actually negatively judging the people who use thoughts and prayers, because what I really want to know is someone who has made this statement, what specifically are they praying? And I want to know, like, when they actually do the prayer, what do they say to God? Because that's the bit I think we're missing here. That's the bit of information that isn't getting revealed. What are you praying for? Because if we know what they're praying for, we can figure out if they're getting the results they want. And in cases like this, but in, in a situation like this, the efficacy of the prayer is actually the thing we should be looking at. Because if it works, then we can keep doing it. But if it doesn't work... We need to abandon that system and start doing something else. What job can I do as a lazy person with an IQ of 148 who wants at least $70,000 annually and to work 20 hours a week? I think if your IQ was really 148, you would have been able to figure out this problem yourself and you wouldn't have had to come to Quora. As soon as someone includes their IQ in something, I immediately suspect that their IQ scale is incorrect. Primarily because the questions they're asking, if you're that smart, you would be able to figure out yourself. If you want at least $70,000 a year, you are probably not going to be working 20 hours a week. There are probably some incredibly smart computer programmers who have designed programs that are essentially autonomous, where they make that kind of money and they just spend their time maintaining the program. I could see that as a possibility. But otherwise, if you want to make that much money, I think you might actually have to get a job, and most jobs are eight hours a day, 40 hours a week. That's pretty standard in the world. You could probably go into some kind of creative industry and work fewer hours for maybe more success, but in that case, you're probably not guaranteed a $70,000 income. The fact that you have also put in here that you're incredibly lazy means that pretty much every one of these goals is going to be outside your range of ability because you would have to put some work into achieving something to be able to get the money and the time you're talking about. So like I said, I don't actually believe you have an IQ of 148 because if you did, you would have been able to figure this out yourself. Because here I am with probably my very average IQ and I figured it out in a few seconds. More Canadian bashing. If Canada is as nice as Canadians paint it, why hasn't been mass exodus from the US to Canada? Well, there hasn't been mass exodus from US to Canada because you're not allowed to just move to Canada. First of all, it's immigration. So just like Mexicans trying to come into America, you don't just let them in. You can't just stroll across the border and become a resident. You actually have to apply for immigration. And if you don't offer anything to the country, your application can be rejected. So we're not going to have a mass exodus of Americans because they're not going to accept most Americans. Canada has very strict immigration rules just like most countries. The only ways to get in are as if you offer something, so you have a high salary or a lot of money or a high skill set, or you could try to get refugee status. But if you're coming from America, you're not going to get refugee status because you're coming from a rich country with its own support system. And so leaving that country isn't necessary for your survival. So why hasn't been mass exodus from the U.S. to Canada? Because Canada isn't letting you in. And if you keep this crap up, we're going to build a wall and make you pay for it. This week is my birthday, and. I received a present from my mother. Now my mother is in Canada and I'm in Japan so she can't give me presents sort of easily or anything so she sends me a package. This time it was a t-shirt. I'm old enough that I don't want presents or don't really care about getting presents but I do enjoy getting mail which I find weird and I think Amazon's business model is primarily successful because it comes in the mail. I think people, no matter how old they get, enjoy getting stuff in the mail. Like it's one thing to go to a store and buy something And you feel some sense of satisfaction but there's a wholly different thing when a thing shows up at your house it feels more like a present or it feels more like a surprise when it comes in the mail and i would actually ascribe a lot of amazon success to the fact that they bring it to you to your house to your door but i got a t-shirt and it's a very nice t-shirt but as you all know by listening to the podcast that i've spent most of my life doing martial arts and judo and it's a big part of my life. I wear a lot of sports clothes. I wear a lot of, uh, if I have my preferred brands, like I think anyone has with anything they do a lot of, so I'll almost exclusively buy Adidas shoes. I I wear a lot of champion clothes. I like sort of just the C. I like things to be a little more subtle. Under Armour is really good, but it's gotten a bit trendy, so you got to be a little careful. I only buy stuff with small symbols on it. I don't buy things that say Under Armour or something like that, Uh, I do like the little like the UA they've put on if it's just on the chest or something like that. But the sports clothes I buy tends to minimize the branding of the sports clothes. That's sort of a thing I like. I like subtlety. I don't need to scream to people that I'm wearing a Nike shirt. That seems like a bit ostentatious. And if I'm going to do that much advertising, I actually think the company should, you know, kick back a little money to me for advertising for them or make the product cheaper for when I wear it. Maybe I don't hit the brand that they're looking for, so they might not want me to wear their clothes. Something I read about recently, in one of the previous podcasts, I talked about one of the Jersey Shore guys wearing a brand of clothes and it becoming less popular as a result, so the company offered to pay him to not wear their clothes. It turns out that competing brands, so like let's say Gucci, would send a Versace bag to Snooki so that she would carry it around and that would actually damage their brand. So they were sending competitors' products to the people on Jersey Shore so that they would wear them as a way of attacking their brand, which is really neat. Sort of rolls back to a previous podcast if you want to go back and listen to that one. I don't know what number it is. You'll have to go back and start at the beginning. But my mom did a very mom thing. She bought me a shirt and the brand is about a quarter of the size of the chest. So whatever brand it is, it's basically the only thing you're gonna see. And she chose an interesting brand because I'm wearing the shirt right now, by the way, because my mom bought me a shirt, so I'm gonna wear it. It's actually, and it's a very high quality shirt. It's really nice, it feels good, it's very soft. I'm sure it's mostly uh, synthetic products, but it's been designed by science, so it's been designed for me. But the brand is Tap Out and In the martial arts world, Tap Out is the brand chosen by assholes. It is the guys that I respect or admire or are friends with essentially would never wear a Tap Out shirt. So I can only see one of two things happening. My mother went into a store and she says, I want to buy a t-shirt for my son. And the person, of course, doesn't know who I am says, what's he into? And she says he's into martial arts or he's into judo or something like that. And the person immediately thinks, oh my God, what a douchebag. Let's sell them a tap out shirt. And then they tell my mom, you know, this is a shirt that's popular with martial artists, which is technically true, but it's popular with a very specific subset of martial artists, the douchebags. Because I know that no one in my judo club or any of the clubs I have attended have ever worn a tap out shirt. Or I've never seen them wearing one, and they wear a lot of athletic gear. So before when they change, you see them come in, they're usually wearing like sweats or sports stuff. They wear, we wear sports shirts and undershirts while we're doing judo to so sort of collect some of the sweat. So you see kind of people's branding. Now almost universally in Japan, in judo, it's Under Armour. So I wear a lot of that kind of just to fit in. It's almost social pressure, but you want to be like the people you're with. So I personally wear Adidas and Under Armour most. But the brand that has won out in martial arts worlds that I know of is Under Armour, and I have never seen someone wear a tap out. The tap out brand is connected to the douchebags, uh, MMA guys who want to go around getting fights and sort of want to be strong so that they can disrespect other people. Maybe the person in the store said, we have a ton of these. Here's an opportunity to sell one and get rid of it. Maybe the person thought, oh, everyone who does martial arts is a dickwad. This is the kind of stuff they like. I'll sell it to this lady. She won't know the difference. Uh, If she showed her the shirt, again, high quality shirt. So my mom's probably like, that's a nice shirt. I'll get it for my son. It'll be fine. The alternative theory is that my mom thinks I'm a douchebag and actually knew the association and put it together. This one's far less likely because I don't think my mother would know the association of a sports brand with a group of people. It's basically outside of my wheelhouse at my age. Certainly as a slightly older woman uh, compared to me, she's gonna be more out of touch. But there is the possibility that she thinks, there's a tap out shirt, it looks douchey, my son's a douche, let's put those together. Now you might be thinking, uh, your mom doesn't think you're a douchebag. Your mom doesn't think you're an asshole. Let me recount a story from my youth, which was me walking towards the car. I had come from a store and she was waiting for me in the car. I think I was about 20 something. And I get in the car and she looks at me and goes, you know that show you like? Of course, I didn't know which show she was talking about. I was like, no, no which one? She goes, you know the one in space where they fly around? And I go, yeah, yeah, you probably mean Star Trek. She goes, you know those people in that show uh, the the aliens with the ears, and I go yeah the Vulcans. She goes they have no feelings, do they? I go no no they they're, they're supposed to be emotionless. They they only care about logic. She goes yeah you're kind of like them. What she was trying to say is that my face and expressions are basically devoid of emotions. And that was a fairly warm interaction between us. So I'm not saying my mom doesn't love me. She does, but certainly she doesn't understand all my life choices. She doesn't get the fighting. She thinks it's horrible. She doesn't get the way I've chosen my life path for sure. One of the things that I do remember of her coming to one of my earlier judo competitions, so I was probably in my late teens, and this was the first and last time she ever attended a judo competition. Because in my second or third fight, I got the opponent I was fighting in a choke. And so you're allowed to choke people until they're unconscious or they give up in judo. That's fair game. The thing is, when I was choking this young man, probably about a similar age, so in his late teens, he was looking at my mom. He was looking directly at my mom and made eye contact with her as I was choking the life out of him. Now she says his hand went up in a gesture of pleading supplication, like, please stop your offspring from murdering me now, please. She said he was looking at her like he knew that that was my mom, and this was the only way, the only thing he could do was appeal to her to try to get this horrible thing to stop. She said it was one of the most horrific things she's ever seen. She never wanted to see it or do it again. So she never came back to a judo competition. She was never opposed to the judo because she actually likes the idea that I can take care of myself, take care of other people, uh, i sort of aware of my own abilities, all that kind of stuff I've talked about in the past she's on board with, but... She doesn't really like the near murder of a human being and that human being looking her in the eyes. I am now the proud owner of a tap-out shirt, a shirt I would never buy for myself, that I am wearing with pride, despite the fact that I think it represents everything wrong with martial arts. Since I did a story about my birthday, it actually brought up some memories from past birthdays, specifically my 18th birthday. Now this, in my mind, was actually one of the best birthdays of my life, but weirdly, it was only great because it was one of the worst birthdays I ever had. It certainly wasn't a good night when we had the night. But years later, it's actually one of my weirdly fondest memories. On my 18th birthday, all my friends got together. We went out to a Chinese restaurant. And because I had my apartment, we could all go back to my apartment and start drinking afterwards. We had dinner. It was a really good dinner. And then we went back to my apartment. And this was long enough later that some of us started to feel not great. Probably the ones with the weaker stomachs. So you can already guess what had happened is we, as a group, had gotten some food poisoning. I'm not laying any blame on the restaurant or anything. It's just something that happens every now and then you get some bad shrimp. But we had all shared food, so we had all gotten the same thing. And the problem with a young man's apartment is that it's usually a bachelor. So you have one room, a kitchen, and a bathroom. That's about it. The bathroom is a bathtub with a toilet sitting next to it. I think you all have a pretty solid image of what I'm talking about already. The thing is, when people are sick in a group, certainly when it's something stomach related that makes you vomit, one person vomiting will often set off the other people vomiting, be it the sound or the smell or just the idea of vomiting. When you feel sick, it makes you want to vomit. There were not enough toilets in my apartment for five guys to throw up into together. So we had to come up with a solution, and this was a solution that had to be come up with in an incredibly short amount of time. So when the first person threw up, I don't remember who it was, it might even have been me, that set off a chain reaction amongst the group. Everyone in the group was going to throw up. So the only alternatives were throw up in the kitchen sink or throw up in the bathtub. Now with five people, you got one on the toilet, one in the kitchen sink, and then three into the bathtub. Those were the only options. Otherwise, again, young guy, never thought in my life to buy buckets. Uh, I don't even know if I had a waste basket, So there were no receptacles other than those to throw up into. Otherwise, it was going to be on the floor. And we wanted to minimize cleanup and do the best we could because we were still all conscientious that this was my apartment and, you know, we want to keep it as clean as we can. So there's several chain reactions. Someone throws up and then everyone else rushes to their spots and starts throwing up sort of in concert. And the reason this was a good memory is that if you want a bonding experience, if you want to feel connected to other people, you throw up with them multiple times in a night. You go through that experience. You feel horrible with them. And when you come out on the other side, you now have a bond. It's better than a blood oath that I was talking about. previous episodes it's deeper than sort of a normal emotional bond between friends you have gone through and survived something you are now linked forever so in the course of an evening we all threw up multiple times and then later in the evening when a couple of us still were throwing up everyone else still had to dry heave so no matter what happened it always happened in concert we were always doing it together then, when it was finally, everything was exhausted, nothing else was coming out of our bodies, we all knew that the one thing we should all be doing, we're all dehydrated, let's drink as much water as we can, and then just try to fall asleep. But water puts stuff back in your stomach, which means you now have stuff you can throw up again. So, after about an hour of sleep, we all started waking up with that rumbling feeling like, oh God, I'm going to throw up. But at least now there's some water in your, in your body to throw up with. And then we all got back to our positions to throw up again. This happened consistently throughout the night. So after about 10-12 hours of consistently drinking, sleeping for a little bit, waking up, throwing up, drinking water, falling asleep, we woke up on the other side the next day and we were now a band of brothers that could never be broken. So for those who were in attendance for my 18th birthday, I want to thank you because that honestly is one of the best memories of my life because I had never felt so connected to a group of men before. They talk about men being emotionally unavailable to each other and not sharing their feelings. That men connect through experiences. And that's actually quite rare because I spend my time on the internet. I go to an office. I don't have that many experiences with other men. But I have this one and I do understand the depth of emotion that you feel when you go through things with people. Translate that into video games though is actually an interesting thing because my closest friends are probably the people I've met through video games online that I play with regularly and I think the thing that bonds us is our mutual experiences in the video games. So when we've done something stupid, when we've done something brave, when we've done something and failed, when we've done something and succeeded, and that acknowledgement is instant because we share that experience, I think that's the same thing, which is why men bond so well through video games. So if someone tries to diminish that for you in the future, you can bring this up. This is a shared experience I have with other people, and it's not something that should be taken away because it is really the only way men can express love in modern society. So maybe you don't want to kill that off and create just a little bit more toxic masculinity. The loss of the Velosa, of the loss of you loss of the loss of the loss of you loss of the loss you the loss at the loss of or loss of the 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 the So this week is my birthday and I figured it would be worthwhile to recall or recount some of my, I'm not going to start with that,